looking at verses 20 through 23 this morning. Daniel chapter 9, 20 through 23. So we continue our study in the book of Daniel and our look at it. Before we do that, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with this text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come before you today, as we open your word, we we admit our own frailty. We admit um, our lack of understanding when it comes to your word, even our inability to even understand how these things written so long ago and about people and by people who just seemingly so far removed from our current situation. Lord, help us to see that your words are eternal, that your words are eternal for your people, that they mean the same today as they did then for your people for all time, for our instruction to convict us of our sin, and so that we might see you in its pages. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as we come to these verses here, it reminded me of this club that I host at the high school, and I've probably talked about it before, but it's just so exciting that we need to talk about it some more, and it's called the Board Game Club. And it's a pretty simple thing. We just play board games. It's all we do. And a lot of times, particularly entering freshmen who don't really understand Board Game Club, it can be a little bit overwhelming because... A lot of the games that we play have, they're a little complicated, right? There's, there's some rules associated with them. They take a little bit to learn. And I saw what I do as a teacher there is I try to ease them into the hobby. And other people who are more familiar with some of the games, we try to ease them into the hobby. We give them some of the easier games with less rules. We don't dive right into the, the deep end of the board game closet where there's lots of cool pictures and board game bits. And I watch it every year though. The kids can't help themselves, right? They see these games and they're like, I want that one. And it's got all the cool pictures and all the cool minis or whatever else is in the box. And they, they get a group together that want to play this game and they open it up and they start talking about all the cool things that are in the box. And then they pull out their, the 15 page rule book associated with that. And you can't even get them to read a small paragraph at the top of a piece of paper that says instructions, much less an entire book that is labeled instructions. And so they slowly start to put the the parts back in the box and then close the box and then they get out Monopoly to play it. They want to dive right in to the fun stuff with no prep time, no experience. They don't want to stop to enjoy some of the simpler games. And, And they end up selecting something that is far superior or inferior to all of them. And if you've looked ahead, you may have been hoping that we, as a church, we're going to look at verses 24 through 27 today in the book of Daniel concerning the 70 weeks of prophecy that are there, uh, that has been the center of so many modern day end times teachings, not just modern day, but all times end times teachings. It's one of the most difficult and controversial passages in the Bible to interpret, and we want to jump right in with both feet and head first, all the parts, all at once. But there's this great four verses right before that that are honestly help us to ease into 24 through 27. And if we miss it, it will change our experience completely. It's not even an issue of context. The context is necessary, of course. But it's more about changing us. 
before we get to that text. In it, we'll see Daniel receive a message from the angel Gabriel concerning his prayers that we went over last week in the first 19 verses of this passage. In their interaction, we're not only reminded of Daniel's mind, his heart for receiving these visions, but also the love of God for Daniel and for all of his people. As we get into the text today, we'll understand how we ought to frame our own walks with Christ, our Christian life, and our care for the church and for the world around us. We see this call to action from God through the angel Gabriel that in Christ we aren't simply to rest in Him, which we are indeed called to rest in Christ, but we are called to live and act as if the peace of Christ is actually true in our lives. So as we look at this passage, we'll divide it into three main ideas, the love of God's people, the love for God's provision, and then God's love moving us to action. So with that, let's look together at the text, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, And presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. The beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a little context. Remember last week we looked at Daniel's prayer for the people of Israel who were exiled in Babylon. The Babylonian part of that exile was now over because Babylon was now over. They had been destroyed by the Medes and the Persians, yet the people were yet to have returned home at this point. Daniel's prayer is for them to prepare for their return, that their hearts, as they return to Jerusalem, as they return to regular worship of God, would be prepared for that, that they wouldn't turn to the same sins as of old, but they would turn again to their God. And verse 13 in Daniel chapter 9 is kind of at the crux of that. That what was their big sin? That they had not entreated the favor of the Lord. They hadn't turned from their iniquities and turned to God. Daniel's prayer is that the Lord would turn his anger away from them and instead turn upon his people for mercy. And that he would restore them to a proper worship of him again. So notice in verse 20 with this idea of while I was speaking and praying. So Daniel was right in the middle of his prayer, and Gabriel, this angel whom we've met earlier, is is already there with God's response to Daniel's prayer. Before we get to God's response, I want to look at the way that Daniel frames this section as he kind of gives us some insight into how his mind and his heart work. I think this was particularly instructive of me because a lot of times I'm a very, um, how you say, like nuts and bolts kind of person. I really just want the facts. I just want that. That's it. I don't want all the fluff around the story. 
uh, just a simple reporting of the words and the actions will usually suffice for me. And so when I read this about Daniel and some of his mind as to, to kind of framing the response that he received, it's very good. We see Daniel's heart. We see his mind concerning his prayer. It shows us that our the attitude behind our prayers is just as important, if not more important, than the things that we pray for. And that brings us to the first point, love for God's people. Look again with me at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. So notice a few things here. Notice Daniel's confession isn't a broad brush for all of Israel or just a broad brush for all of Israel. But he is also talking about his own sin, confessing my sin and the sin of the people Israel. Daniel, a prophet, a representative of Israel, took time in his prayer to confess his personal sin. Up to this point in Daniel, we haven't had much indication that Daniel had any kind of besetting sins or really any sins at all that we've seen from him. Yet we know that in the 70 years in a pagan land, it had to have been difficult for him. Had to have been difficult for him. We don't want to conjecture how Daniel dealt with that, but it may have, but it had it been me, I definitely know how I would have dealt with that pretty early on even. It would have been with complaining, doubts, and hopelessness. As a leader of God's people, Daniel made sure to consider his own sins as well. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, which we do every week here, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are praying in a corporate way, yes, as a church, forgive us our debts, our debts as a church, yes, as we as a church forgive our debtors, a very corporate kind of prayer, but we are also taught to pray that as individuals, forgive us, forgive me my debts as I forgive others, right? John Calvin, in his commentary on Daniel chapter 9, actually picked up on this connection with the Lord's Prayer, and he said this, For whom did Christ wish to use this petition? Meaning, who was Christ hoping would pray this prayer? Surely all his disciples, if anyone thinks he has no need of this form of prayer and this confession of sin, let him depart from the school of Christ and enter into a herd of swine. He goes on to say that in order that Christ may gratuitously absolve us, but not just Forgive us, but gratuitously forgive us. If anyone fancies themselves as one who do not need this type of forgiveness, he likens them to demons who need to be cast out into the pigs. And I'll add this, this prayer of confession of sin should not only be to God. As we confess our sins to God, we should keep short accounts with God, certainly. But it should also be a model with how we deal with one another. Confessing specific wrongs with one another is a necessary part of the healthy body of believers. It doesn't mean that we dig deep to find wrongs. Again, we're not like trying to dig problems up or anything like that. But when those wrongs occur, name them specifically, ask forgiveness from our brother or sister in Christ for them specifically. Because what's going to come of that? Only good. Only good can come of that. Building Christ's church to the glory of God can come from those situations. Daniel had an obvious love 
for the people of God. So he calls them my people here. Somewhere along the way, we have started competing. The church has started competing with itself. It could be for reasons that we talk about on Wednesday evening sometimes, where we've, where we've recently been talking about evangelism and the sovereignty of God, the book that we've been going through, and how um, in evangelism oftentimes we are concerned more with the results than we are with the message itself. It could be that it's our nature to see others as out to get us, so to speak, rather than trusting that maybe they do have our best interest at heart. We talked about that a little bit this morning in Sunday school as well. This thought is echoed by so many when they talk about the church. We all know people who talk about the church in this way when they say that they claim to be believers, but they don't go to church. And when you ask them why, it's because they can't stand the people there. They have this bitterness about them, but yet they claim to be ones who aren't supposed to have bitterness. Across the board, all biblical writers who talk about the people of God in any time speak of them with love and compassion, as Daniel does here. Even as even in harsh rebukes of them, right? Even in Daniel's prayer in the last bit, as we've read through Isaiah and Hosea and others who have harsh rebukes for the people of God. Why are they doing that? Is it because they dislike the people of God? It's quite the opposite. It's because they love them so much that they're naming their sin and calling for the people of God to turn from their sin and to turn to God. One of the things I love about Redeemer is that we've always tried to model that here as we as we pray for other churches. We're constantly praying for the whole body of Christ and not just for our own, but we extend our prayers uh, on for the whole body of Christ, particularly in this community and, and surrounding areas. That, and we name those congregations by name, that the Lord would increase those congregations, that the, the word be preached from the pulpits in these places. And so for that, I commend you. But this passage should serve as a reminder to us all. The child of God loves the people of God. Lifts them up, builds them up, cares for them, nurtures and instructs them. While we don't all agree on the details, which is fine, We agree on Christ as Savior. He is who unites us. Christ. It's the only difference between us and the world is Christ, and He is the thing that unites us all in Him, is Christ. We should be a people who pray for the whole body of Christ, as we see Daniel doing here. There's an old hymn speaking of the church that says, For her tears, for her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend. To her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. As Daniel prays, we can see his commonality with the hymn writer here, and we also see his love for the worship of God as well. And that brings me to the second point, the love for God's provision. In this next point, I want to give credit to uh, Dr. Ralph Davis for noticing this and writing about it in his commentary. I'd never really made... I never really noticed it. You know, it's just one of those things that you just kind of fly past as you're reading through the text again in a hurry to get to those things that seem more important. He draws this out, and I wanted to give credit to him, and it's in verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
So we read about Gabriel coming to him and he's in swift flight, which is really cool, right? Because this angel's kind of flying in and he's got something urgent to tell Daniel and we want to get right to that message. We want to skip right to it. What does he, what does he got to say? This is really cool because look at all the stuff he said to him before about goats and rams and horns and all this other stuff. And so we're probably going to get some more of the same. We're going to have that. We might skip right over this something that's neat. Because notice the time that Daniel said Gabriel came. It was at the time of the evening sacrifice. When do you think the last time Daniel participated in an evening sacrifice was? It wasn't in Babylon. They're pagans. It wasn't in his new friends, the Persians. They're also pagans. It had been 70 years since Daniel, as a teenager, participated in the evening sacrifice. And yet, that's how he's still keeping time. For 70 years, Daniel has longed for his homeland, longed to be in the temple of the Lord, longed to be in present for being present for worship with the people of God. So when it came time to mentioning the time of day, Daniel mentioned it as the time of the evening sacrifice. It might easily have been forgotten that after 70 years of worshiping God in the secret of his room, even being thrown in the lion's den for doing so, But he is stirred up to thinking about a time when God's people were together and would be together again. When Jesus prays in John chapter 17, as he prays for his disciples, he prays also for his people for all time, including us. He prays for the people of God, saying that while they are in the world, that while they are in the world, they are not of the world. And we're all familiar with this saying, right? As Christians, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And people will oftentimes use that to do all sorts of things and claim all sorts of weird things. But the real truth of that is that we, what Jesus is saying is that while we are here in the, in the world, like actually physically here, living here, we're not of the world, meaning we don't belong to it. We belong to Him. We belong somewhere else, just like Daniel belonged somewhere else. There are a few things that we have as believers that show this, that show that we aren't merely just others who are here in the world, but we are decidedly different than the people of this world. We typically call those things in our church and in the Presbyterian church in general the ordinary means of grace. The Bible doesn't specifically have a bulleted list of these things that are called the means of grace, but believers over the years have come up with a short list of these things by which God confers His grace to us, meaning that He shows us the benefits that we have in Christ, the benefits of our redemption through these ordinary things. Ordinary things that we do as a church. Even sometimes as a church, we might even take for granted. Our standards spell out these things, like the preaching of the Word as a means of God's grace. Prayer, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism as a means of His grace. I would add to that list the fellowship of the saints as a means by which God shows us the benefits of redemption that we have in Christ. These things separate us from the world. Sure, the world has forms of these things, right? The world gets together for 
fellowship too, right? They have forms of these things, but in Christ, through His Word, we see them made perfect. God's Word, prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, fellowship, all together with the people of God, different from the world. These are the things that make us who we are in Christ. Now, imagine being removed from these for 70 years. Not seeing a baptism. Not partaking of the Lord's Supper. Not hearing the Word preached. Not praying with the saints and fellowshipping with the saints for 70 years. Would we ever get to the point... Would we ever get to the point where we would say on Sunday morning, this is just an ordinary day? Would we ever wake up on Sunday morning and think this day is the same as yesterday and tomorrow? Would we ever lose that sense of the means of grace? I believe a Christian could not. It would be unthinkable. It's unthinkable that the Lord's people wouldn't want to be together with Him and each other on the Lord's day, doing the Lord's things. I wanted to stop here for a moment before we get to Gabriel to consider our love for these means by which God shows His love for us. These are things that make us who we are as a covenant people. And if you notice, these are the first things that tend to go away when we take God's Word and twist it. These means of grace, these ordinary means, are the things that either go away or the things that are, are damaged in, in some way. And it's why that we should guard them so closely and endeavor always to keep them sacred. As Daniel receives this word from Gabriel, those words affirm Daniel's keeping of the ordinary means and remind him how he is loved. And that brings me to the last point, God's love moving us to action. Let's look together at verses 22 and 23. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Before Daniel's even finished praying, Gabriel rushes in to make sure Daniel knows that he is deeply loved, or as the ESV says, greatly loved. As the Lord heard those cries for mercy, he had to make sure that Daniel knew as soon as possible. So he sent Gabriel. Gabriel is the very strength of the Lord. Remember, that's what Gabriel's name means. And so he's sending his own, his, his best man, so to speak, to go tell him this thing. Daniel, you are greatly loved. This word greatly loved or deeply loved is more than just love, but it denotes a, a kind of preciousness to it. Like how, I mean, and I tend to go to fantasy every time, but it's like a dragon, how a dragon sees their gold, right? They don't just have a love for their gold, but they have a constant desire for it. Even if it's something they're sitting on top of, right? If they have this constant desire for it and they're guarding others from it non-stop it is a 
It is precious to them. They're guarding it forever, this deep longing and desire. It's the kind of love that wants to grab a hold of something and hold on to it and keep it close and safe at the same time, for all time. Daniel's distress and his concern for his people and their sins as he's praying for these things, and as you read through his prayer, you can feel his heart in it. The Lord couldn't help but reach out and comfort him. What a fantastic picture of God's redeeming love for his people. That God so loved us that he sent Jesus to become sin that we might become the very righteousness of God. The Father sending the Son on behalf of his people. And then what do God the Father and God the Son do then for their people? They send out the Spirit. So that the Spirit, even in those times that we don't even know what we're supposed to say, well, how we're supposed to think when we come to His Word and we don't understand what does all this mean? What does He, he gives us His Spirit so that even when we cry out to God, that He will be there in our midst. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 kind of echoes this idea. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So God's seeking this, just we're so precious to Him that He sent His Son to us to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He sent His Spirit into us to cry out on our behalf. The love of God is such for His people that He does all the work to ensure their safety and security for all eternity. It doesn't mean that we don't receive discipline along the way, like 70 years of exile in Babylon, or whatever form it may be taking in the life of us, our individuals today, or the church It's because He loves us that we receive discipline, yet all the while He is preparing a place for us when we finally come home. The people of Israel never got to a place with God where He stopped caring for them so much so that He said, you're never going home. But He intended to send them home just as He does for us. Even as He prepares a place, or prepares to give Daniel this difficult bit of prophecy, He comes and makes sure that Daniel understands that he is deeply Loved, And the one way that love is conveyed is by giving him insight and understanding. You see that in verse 22. He made me understand. That's what Daniel says. And then Gabriel even says that. Oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. We have the same in Christ. In Christ, our eyes have been opened to receive and understand the Word of God, to pray to God, to receive and understand the things like the sacraments, to even understand fellowship as simple as it seems, this deep fellowship that we have as believers, even though we've been given this new understanding as we've been recreated in knowledge, we are still called to consider and understand. So notice Gabriel's come to give him insight and understanding, but then at the end of that, at the end of 23, notice what he says. Therefore, do these things. Consider the word. Understand the vision. For the unbeliever, this is a call for you as well. 
consider and understand the deep love that God has for His people. But what's on the other side of that coin, the necessary other side of that coin, but also consider that God is a jealous God. And when His people went astray, He cast them into exile for 70 years. If He would do that to His own people, how much more will He do to those who are not His people? question for you this morning is, are you a child of God? Do you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord, that God raised Him from the dead? If not, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. For those of us who are believers here, it would be easy for us to rest in this knowledge that we have, and we're really good at doing this, to become complacent, to remain to remain this deeply loved with understanding and then kind of do nothing. Oh yes, I am deeply loved. Yes, I've been given understanding and then do nothing with those things that we have. But God is calling us here as Gabriel through the Lord is call, or as God through Gabriel is calling Daniel to do to consider the word, to understand the vision. Obviously, this is direct application through the text as we're going to study in those verses next week. But it's really to all of His Word. A Christian's work is never done in this regard because we never get to a place where we're going to stop learning or stop gaining new understanding or insight concerning His Word. Imagine closing the Bible one day and just saying, yeah, I solved it. We're never going to get to that point, ever. We always have more to learn. There are two extremes here, I guess. Is one doing nothing, never learning for yourself, but just hoping that the guy up front actually knows what he's talking about. The other extreme is becoming so wrapped up in all these things too, which I've seen that side of it, particularly as a seminary student, and even even on this side of seminary, so wrapped up in language and grammar and historical context that the Bible becomes this kind of textbook rather than the very words of life from a loving God. Imagine skipping over you are deeply loved to get to 70 weeks. It just seems kind of silly, but we do it all the time. Not to say those 70 weeks aren't important. They are. We're going to talk about them next week. We're not going to skip over them. We're thankful for the insight given to Daniel through Gabriel concerning that. We're thankful for the volumes that have been poured out over the centuries on the last four verses of this chapter. Just go look it up. It's extensive. You can read for a really long time on these four verses. But we shouldn't skip over God's great love for His covenant people in order to get to it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are deeply loved. I say that to this particular congregation, but I say it to all churches everywhere. We here at Redeemer need to remember that God loves all His people. That's why we should constantly be in prayer for all His people. Not only remember the ordinary means of grace, but we do not neglect them. Rather, we embrace them. We see them each each week that we gather together. And remember that you are loved, that our Savior Jesus calls us to go out and to love others likewise. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we consider these words, we pray that you would help us do just that, that we wouldn't rest at our current state as believers, be happy with our current understanding, that we wouldn't grow complacent, 
That we wouldn't grow complacent when it comes to the state of this world either. That we wouldn't stop seeing them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But that we would see them as those who need the love of God, who need to call upon your name and be saved. Lord, we pray that you would help us in our own hearts and that you would help us to love others as you have called us to. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.